0: Um, We're doing Acts 2, 36 to 47. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the, fav- the favour of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hey guys, how you doing? Good to see you. You good? I'm having a good time. Hopefully you are as well. Hopefully, yeah, this is, this is kind of what Friday nights feel like. Um, so, welcome to chaos uh, <laughs> but we have a very, very good time. I'm very, I'm very happy that it's a student service, and I love it when uh, the, our, our young Christian crew, our young church gets to see um, the broader church and gets to be a part of that. That's actually why we do student services, because it's really great for, for you guys to get to see the youth, and it's really great for the youth to get to see you guys, because uh, hopefully they're an encouragement to you in their faith, and uh, hopefully you're an encouragement to them, because there comes a time in, in every... Child's life where they finish school and uh, NBC Youth kicks them out and they're not welcome anymore. Um, I mean, they can come back as a leader, but they're not, you know, they're not in school anymore. And we hope that when that happens, uh, they, they'll join the broader church and they'll become a part of of uh, the the adults who gather here to worship Jesus together. So that's one of the reasons we do NBC Youth. Um, I'm preaching on Acts tonight uh, because. At Youth, we've been preaching through Acts. Uh, We're we're a youth community who preaches through books of the Bible. And uh, we we did the earlier part of Acts chapter 2 on Friday night. um, So you just get the next snippet. And hopefully it fits in. Hopefully it makes sense to you. So would you uh, pray with me as we open God's word together? Father, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that you have called us to be your people. And thank you that uh, as your people, we can have this community together. Help us, Lord, as we open your word tonight, understand it, speak to us through it, help us to be aware um, of the church that you would have us to be, and thank you that your Holy Spirit will make us into that church, and pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I think that uh, as a general statement, people these days are a bit confused about what healthy is. Um, I personally am a bit confused about what healthy is. So a lot of you will know that my wife is a doctor and she's always been quite interested in health. And I remember when we started to date, um, I would say something like to her, like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to take the healthy option. So rather than drinking Coke, I'm just, I'm going to choose the healthy option, which is orange juice. And then my wife would laugh at me and be like, "You're a bozo! Don't you know that orange juice is just as bad for you as Coke?" And I was like, "What are you talking about?" Because uh, I just didn't really understand what healthy was. And um, maybe it's because the food pyramid that I was taught when I was young is actually almost kind of like subverted now. And I don't, so on this side is the old food pyramid. On this side is the new food pyramid. Uh, at the bottom is all of the grain food. That was what I got taught. Eat lots of bread. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to be healthy and eat lots of bread. Um, but now they're telling me that what, what healthy is is actually vegetables and fruit. But I, mean, I didn't know that when I was younger, you know. So I, f- I feel like that one of the reasons we're confused about what healthy is is because the food pyramid's changed. I think another thing that's confusing a lot of people is the, uh, the five-star health rating system. Have you guys come across this in Woolworths? Uh, I think the reason I find it so confusing is because Milo gets four and a half stars. <laughs> and... Uh, I don't know if it's just me, but I think Milo is like a milkshake, you know. How is that possible that it gets four and a half stars? Maybe if you made it with skim milk, it would be a little bit healthier. But I think we're a bit confused about what healthy is. I think that's just something that, um, maybe it's just me, but I think it's something that's broader than just me. And I think that's also the case when we think about church. We're a little bit confused about what a healthy church is. Because we look at a bunch of different churches around the place and they seem like they're thriving and they seem like they're frothing, But what actually is a healthy church? What tells you what a healthy church really is? Uh, This passage that we've read tonight, it gives us a description of a healthy church. It gives us a description of God's church right after the Holy Spirit has been poured out on God's people. And I think it actually helps us to answer that question, what is a healthy church? So we're going to have a look just at the chapter, verse 42 3 to 47, um, at, at the Fellowship of Believers in that section. So if you've got a Bible, it would be really great if you could have that, have that open in front of you. And we're going to have a look at what a healthy church is, according to the book of Acts. Now, before we hop into that, I just wanted to um, kind of pick you, uh, bring you up to speed with what's been happening in Acts so far. Um, the first thing that happens in Acts is that Jesus, the main character, ascends into heaven. But before he ascends into heaven, he says to his apostles, don't worry, the Holy Spirit is going to come and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria unto to the ends of the earth. So these apostles are told that they should be witnesses. They said, he says to them, stay in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit will come on you. And once the Holy Spirit has come on you, then you will be my witnesses into all the earth. And so in the start of chapter two, we get this incredible episode where the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people. And it's described in three kind of weird things that happen. There's a, there's a sound like the rushing of wind. There are some like dancing tongue flame things on their heads. And they speak in foreign languages, languages that they've never learned. Uh, this is the passage that we read on Friday night at youth. And it's incredible to think about the fact that God enabled his people to, to preach the gospel in a language that they never learned before. And then when everyone's so confused about what's going on, like, what is it, what, what, what's happening here? Why are these people speaking these foreign languages? Peter hops up in front of the crowd and he preaches a sermon at Pentecost. And you you think to yourself, like a sermon at Pentecost, that should be about the Holy Spirit, right? But Peter preaches a sermon about the Lord Jesus. His sermon is just about Jesus of Nazareth. Because the Holy Spirit empowers people to preach about Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. And so, so that's what Peter speaks about. And then you see the end of the result of that sermon in that passage that Summer had read for us just then. People are cut to the heart. They're convicted of their sin. They say, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the the Holy Spirit. And we're told that 3,000 people repent and are baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then this little passage that we're about to look at, this is a description of what church was like for those 3,000 people. This is a description of what church was like for those 3,000 people. So have a look at verse 42. I'll chuck it up on the screen. The first word that's used of them is that they are devoted. They devoted themselves, yada, yada, yada. We'll get to the rest in a second. But I want to think about that word devoted for a second. Um, it's actually a really strong word in the original language. The fact that they were devoted, it's, it's two words smashed together. It's strong towards. So they're strong towards something. And I was trying to think of an image of something that is strong towards uh, a particular goal or a particular purpose. And the thing that I thought of was this guy. you're uh, saying Bolt, right? So sprinting is when you're strong towards something. Okay, so Usain Bolt, you can kind of picture him, he's, already, he's mellow and he's in the starting blocks and he's down like this and then when it's go time, you know, the gun blows and it's like boom and he's off, he's strong toward the finish line. And that's what Usain Bolt is and so I think a helpful image for what it means to be strong towards is to think of sprinting towards, like using all of your might to get to the end as fast as you possibly can. And so, the early church is described as being strong towards, and then if you look at the end of the sentence, they, are devo- they devoted themselves, or they were strong towards, they sprinted towards the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They sprinted towards the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. So, they're the four things we're going to talk about tonight. Let's talk about being strong towards the apostles' teaching. Now, I want you to get a picture in your mind of this early church, right? We're talking 3,000 people plus 120 people who are already belonging to Jesus uh, are the Apostles' Church. We're told at the end of the passage that people were added to their number day by day. And so we're talking a very, very large crowd of people. This is like two football fields full of people. And we're told that they were devoted to the Apostles' teaching. Now, there's maybe, I don't know, 150 people in the room right now Uh, I feel like if there was 3,000 people, I would lose my voice very quickly. So let's say they even divided it up into, you know, took 500 each. All the 12 apostles had 500 people each. They're still, you know, these people are just craving the apostles' teaching. And so maybe they preach for an hour and then they just they've preached their guts out and then they go to the next crowd and they just preach for another hour and they do that for 12 hours of the day because they're just, these people are just craving the apostles' teaching. They're just so eager. We want to hear what the apostles have to say. We want to hear what they have to say about Jesus. They're just addicted to the apostles' teaching. You know, it's kind of like when you go to a gig, and at the end of the gig, everyone's like, one more song, one more song, one more... These guys are not one more song, one more sermon, one more sermon, one more sermon. They can't get enough of it. They just want more of the apostles' teaching. And you might think, to you, well, what, what are the apostles' teaching? What are these guys talking about? And Peter tells you, like, the the earlier part of chapter 2 is an explanation of what the apostles taught. Jesus is your Savior. You crucified him on a cross. You should repent of your sins and trust in him, and he will give you the Holy Spirit. And so that is the message that they're preaching. And if you want to know what else the apostles are teaching, well, you can just open up to the other 27 books of the Old Testament because the apostles are responsible for that. That's what the apostles were teaching. Because a spirit-filled church, a church on the day of Pentecost, a church caused by the day of Pentecost, is a church that is committed to the Bible. It's as simple as that. What is a healthy church? It's a church that's committed to the Bible. Now, I get a bit frustrated when people kind of think in this dichotomy that there are spirit churches and there are Bible churches. Have you ever heard that dichotomy before? That is not at all what Acts is talking about. The spirit churches are the apostles' teaching churches. The ones that are on about the Holy Spirit are the ones that are reading their Bibles. We've got to get rid of that dichotomy. It's not helping us at all. The Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures just as the Holy Spirit spoke to the apostles, well, sorry, inspired the apostles as they they taught. So let me ask you a question. How important is the apostles' teaching in your life? If we are to be healthy Christians in a healthy church, how important is, is the Bible? I wanna, um, so when I was younger, I talked about Usain Bolt and, uh, you know, we, sh- we should be sprinting towards the apostles' teaching. When I was younger, I was actually really, really into athletics. I went to little athletics every single weekend. Um, but I was I was more of a discus and shot put guy than I was a sprinter. Um, I'll show you this is so I went to this I went to state athletics. I'm very proud of this when I was in year six. I'm going to show you a photo, and I don't want the whole sermon to be derailed by this photo. So please just like gather yourself together pretty quickly. Um, but this is what this is the photo of our year six um, state squad, and that's me, um, <laughs> third from the left in the back row. I was very much, I was very, I loved, I loved athletics. I loved little athletics on a Saturday, but I was a short put and a discus kind of guy. Um, and I remember being at little athletics. All right, I'm going to take that down now. <laughs> I remember being at little athletics and um, going to go, kind of. I never used to participate in the sprints because it wasn't my thing. Um, but I remember one day with a couple of my friends, we went to do the sprints and we went to the starting blocks, and we got down into the starting blocks. And you know, we dug our holes or whatever you do at Little Athletics. And we got down into the starting blocks. And they said, ready, set. And then they blew the gun. And we kind of just hopped up. And we walked. <laughs> <laughs> we walked until the end. We were having a laugh, you know. It was fun for us. But what I think is actually true is I think that for a lot of us, that's what our craving for the, for the Bible is like. Well, you can you can describe us as people who are sprinting towards the Word of God. We're more just people who are casually approaching it. You know, fitting it in our days if we can fit in time between Facebook and Netflix, and our conversations with our friends and, and, and whatever else. Oh, you know, we, we, we often sometimes we, we sometimes call devotions. We call you know quiet times devotions. But I'm not really sure how how devoted we are actually to our devotions. We're not sprinting towards it. We're quite casual about it. But if we are to be a healthy church, we need to be a church who loves this book. Leon preached a sermon this morning about craving pure spiritual milk, which is the word of God. Can I encourage you to love this book and to, to be devoted to it, to sprint towards it. So a healthy church sprints towards the apostles' teaching. A healthy church, the ne- next one, they sprint towards fellowship. Have a look at verse 42 again. That is, they devoted themselves They they were strong towards the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, what's not in this translation is, before it says fellowship, it says the. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, um, which is, you know, it's not so much, you know, deck time after the service or supper after the service. It actually is more, it's the word, it's the idea of sharing. They devoted themselves to the sharing, uh, the fellowship in that sense. And so, when you get down to verse 45 and for, sorry, 44 and 45, you get a description of this fellowship. Have a look, at verse 44 and 45. <laughs> All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Basically, what this is saying is that the early church they sprinted towards opportunities for generosity. They loved to grasp an opportunity to share with others. Uh, It's important to say that this isn't mandatory, like, you know, you're baptized and you need to sell your house, because if you have a look a few verses later, it said that they gathered to break bread in people's homes. And so not everybody is selling their house, but some people were, were even selling their houses so that they could take care of the needy among them. That is an incredible thing to do. That's an incredible thing to do. Because the early church sprinted towards opportunities to be generous. Um, This is a theme that runs all the way through the book of Acts, that when you become a Christian, your relationship to your money changes. When you become a Christian, you think differently about the wallet that's in your back pocket, or the purse that's in your bag, or whatever. That's something that just comes through Acts again and again and again. Uh, One of my favorite examples of this is in chapter 19. Uh, Paul has just preached in Ephesus, and a bunch of people have become Christians. And a few of those people were were magicians, sorcerers. And the story tells us that they made a bonfire that night, the night they became Christians, and they took all of their sorcery books and chucked them on the bonfire. And then the the Bible tells us when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. 50,000 drachmas! It means millions of dollars. Because when you become a Christian, your attitude toward generosity changes. When you become a Christian, you can't treat your money the same way as as the rest of the world does. Uh, When you become a Christian, it has implications for your bank account. It impacts your Surfstitch account. It affects your ASOS account. It impacts your sports bet account. To be a healthy church means that you are eager for opportunities to be generous. You're looking for a chance to share with others. And there's this really kind of compelling verse in, in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John says, If anyone has material possessions and they see a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with our words and speech, but with actions and in truth. A healthy church is a church that is sprinting towards opportunities to be generous. Now, I just wanted to just break this down really quickly. Some of you might have got really excited, uh, some of the young adults in the room, When I got really excited when the passage talked about property, because something that I've noticed is that young adults only ever talk about property, and I get so sick of it, and half the conversations I have with my peers is about property. Oh, should I buy this, or should I buy that, or should we do this, or what? It, we just talk about property all the time. But We need to bring our understanding of of property and how we spend our money in light of the scriptures. There might be a brother or sister in need that means that you don't buy a house for yourself. I know that that's crazy, but this is what the early church was doing. They were incredibly generous with their money. Now, for those of you who are young in the room, and you can be as young as you feel like, um, An attitude that I had when I was a bit younger is that, oh, it's okay, I'll just give money when I'm older. I'll be generous when I'm older. I don't really have much right now, but I'll be generous when I do have more. Jesus has this really simple principle that he says. He says, whoever is faithful with a little will be faithful with a lot. And basically that means if you're not giving out of your little, you won't give out of your much either. We need to be a generous people because that is what a spirit-filled church looks like. next thing. We should be sprinting towards the breaking of bread. Now, breaking of bread here is an idiom. It means that we should be sprinting towards gathering together. Uh, We should be sprinting towards having community together. That's what that actually means. And it's explained uh, down in verse 46 and 47. So have a look verse 46 and 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Now we're told that the early church was sprinting towards, they were strong towards the opportunity to gather together. The opportunity to be with God's people was just like, oh, I can't wait for that. They did it every single day. They would go to the temple up on the mount and they would meet there and then they would go to each other's homes and they would have a meal together and they would meet there. They were, they were meeting all of the time. They were so eager to meet together. Now, I have to ask you the same question again. Could you say that you're somebody who sprints towards the opportunity to gather with God's people? Is it just a highlight of your week when you get to be with God's people, sitting under his words, encouraging one another, having fellowship together, spurring one, and on, uh, one another on towards the goal? Is that something that you live for? Is that something that you could say you're sprinting towards? Or again, are you just kind of casually strolling towards it? You know, like, oh, if something comes up on Sunday, guess I won't make it to church. If something comes up on Friday night, youth is my second priority. Bible study is not really a big deal to me. I go when I can, not, when I'm not all the time. That's not what this church was like. They would sprint towards the opportunity to gather. They loved the opportunity to gather. I know that sometimes it is hard uh, to get off your couch or to get out of your bed or to get away from whatever you're doing in order to be with God's people. I know that. But let me just give you a bit of a reality check. It was, it was actually much harder for the first century Christians. These people were persecuted simply for being Christians. Gathering together was an opportunity for people to harass them. And yet the New Testament writers are really bold in saying, do not neglect gathering together. Don't stop doing it. It is so important to being a Christian. It's so important to gather together. It's kind of amazing when you hear stories from the persecuted church, places like China, uh, where, where, again, you can be put in prison for being a Christian. And yet you hear these stories about, like, oh, I risked my life in order to go to church on Sunday. And we kind of sit back and go, like, that's so dumb. Like, I didn't even risk my dinner to go to church on Sunday, but there's, they see that church is so much more important than we think it is. The gathering with God's people is what God's people have done since the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. It is so important to gather together. Now, I want to say this to the young people in the room again. Like I've said before, there will come a time where NBC Youth can't be your home anymore because you're not in high school. Come back as a youth leader. That would be sick. But you also need to find somewhere that you have strong Christian community, where you are built up and spurred on in the faith. Because, to be honest with you, if you don't, you will not last. Somebody said to me the other day, Christianity, being, staying a Christian is a team sport. Staying a Christian is a team sport. Try to do it by yourself, man, you're screwed. It's a team sport. So we should be, we should be strong towards gathering together. And the last one is that we should be strong towards, verse 42... We should be strong towards prayer. Now, again, the definite article is there. So that actually means we should be strong towards the prayers. Uh, and what he's actually referring to is the prayer meetings. So he's not just saying that you should be good at praying individually. He's saying they were, they were a church who were devoted to together prayer. Uh, you see this at the start of the next chapter when John and Peter, they head up to the church, sorry, the temple to go to the prayer meeting because the early church did prayer together. It's very important that we are praying together. So are you? could you say that you are somebody who's devoted to praying with other people? I know so often you say, oh, I'll pray for that. But maybe it's a better idea just, just to pray for that right then when you're there with the person. Um, we, we, we kind of neglect the opportunity to have prayer meetings. I know that a lot of the times in my Bible study group, prayer is the thing that falls off when everything else goes for too long. Uh, At other times, the time that I'm least engaged in church is is during the public corporate prayer. But the early church sprinted towards the opportunities to pray together. They loved the opportunity to, to be praying for each other, with each other, because it reminded them that we're God's family with Him as their Father. Are we a church who are eager to pray together? All right, let me just wrap up by saying a few things. Some of you might hear this description of a church and you might be thinking to yourself, okay, well, is now been Baptist church a healthy church or not? Weighing it up in your own mind, kind of like, "Mm, yeah, I had that experience. or But then I had this experience as well. Now, let me just say, there will be some people in the room who feel encouraged from this description of church because you're thinking to yourself, I've actually had those experiences. You're very encouraged by that. Uh, One of our girls in in youth, um, her name's... Emma Fryer, she's not here tonight because she's in Scotland, but at Kick a few weeks ago, she stood up in front of 2,500 people uh, and she shared about her life. Um, she shared about how she became a Christian. Uh, she doesn't go to school. She doesn't go to a Christian school. She's not, uh, her family don't believe. And so um, the, the interviewer asked her, like, What's a, what do you do? Like, how are you spurred on in your faith? And the story that Emma shared was, was about the same Bible study that Charlie was describing before. Where her and a group of other girls her age get together, and they laugh together, they have a meal together, they pray for each other, and they read the Bible together. And that is what spurs her on in her faith. And some of you might go, yeah, my experience is like that. I'm encouraged by this church. But I also know that for many of us, that is not our experience of church. And so we kind of sit here and we go, yeah, I haven't haven't really been welcomed and I haven't really been loved. And I, I haven't had people pray for me. And I firstly want to say, I'm very sorry that that's your experience. as sad. And NBC, we can, we can do better than that. But I also want to say to you that we can take heart because this church that we're talking about, it's not built on our own strength. The reason this church is so remarkable is because it is a spirit-filled church. And something that that Peter says is that when you repent and you turn to Jesus, then he gives you the gift of forgiveness and he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we're told at the very end of this passage, it says, the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. So it says, who's building this church? The Lord is building this church. We can all take heart and know that this church that we so desperately long for we can get one step closer by repenting and trusting in Jesus and his Holy Spirit will build this church. God himself, the only one who really can build a community like this, will build this church. And We can take heart in that. So I want to encourage you that if there are places that you need to repent, that you do that. Run away from your sins and run toward Jesus so that you can have forgiveness, so that he will pour more Holy Spirit into your life. I want to encourage you to do that. And I want to ask you, church, that we, we could grow in, in health, that we could be more like this church, because we all long to be a community like that. Did you notice that the Lord added to their number daily, those who are being saved? This community is attractive. If we are a church like this, that attracts people. Wouldn't it be fantastic to be a church like that? <coughs> I'm going to pray, and then after that, the band's going to hop up, and we're going to sing a few songs. I encourage you as we sing, to sing wholeheartedly and devotedly to the Lord Jesus, because he is worthy of our praise. So would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that you are for us and you are not against us. Thank you, Lord, that you have poured your Holy Spirit into the lives of those of us who believe in you, and that daily that spirit is renewing us and making us more like like your son Jesus. Help us to be people who sprint towards the word. Help us to be people who are strong towards community, strong towards generosity, and strong towards corporate prayer. We thank you for your blessing and your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.